fascinated by talking to creative people. Those who think differently, they understand uniquely, and they see the world in their own ways. Don't get me wrong, I love what creatives produce, but often the story behind the story is what really inspires me. I want to know where ideas come from. That's where the magic happens. That's the creative backstory. So hey everybody, welcome to JuxtaHub. And um, I'm excited for our guest today. Phil Stahl is from our local area. He lives in the glorious, booming metropolis of Pennsburg, Pennsylvania. You'll have to look it up if you're not familiar, but it's all good. Um, he is one of my favorite people and favorite musicians and certainly one of the guitar players. I. It doesn't take much to get to go see. You know, when he's playing, we show up. He's creative. His... I don't even know what he's doing on the guitar. I can't do it. He just creates this environment, this whole sound thing that is amazing, and I love it. And beyond that, he's got a bit of good wisdom for all of us, and that is if you want a local music scene, create one. And that's why I talked him into joining us at uh, JuxtaHub today in Emmaus um, to talk about creating a community of musicians who want to share their talents that are real or imagined. Welcome, Phil. Thanks for coming. Well, thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. The so, sun's shining here in Emmaus today. It's nice, and it's not too. It's not. It's perfect. What I call Alabama hot. Mm-hmm. When you walk in and you feel like you got to swim through the air. Anyway, perfect day. It is a perfect day in Emmaus, and um, here we are. So let's talk about the local music scene that you've created. Tell uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I don't know if I created it. <laughs> it created itself, you know, but I, I, I gave it a little push. I always gave, leave a door open for it, you know. And, um, like, like you said, if you want a local music scene, you got to create one. So what did you want? Let's talk about if what you got was what you want. <laughs> Well, ever since I started playing, I guess, you know, I was always playing with other people. You know, you, you find friends, you know, like like minds, you know, you hang out with like guys that go golfing. They don't go golfing by themselves, and a lot of times they go in groups, you know. And, uh, so I was always, ever since I started playing a guitar, I always hang out with other people playing music, you know. So, um, and and actually, that's how I got into the open mic thing. I would, I finally would start playing out, and I got a gig, you know, and and all my buddies showed up with their guitars, you know. So, hey, can I, can I play? And, and that's kind of how my, because I guess everybody think when they think of me, they think of open mics, you know. And I just been running them for so long, and I, I, it turned out I enjoyed them, you know. And I, I always enjoyed the, the camaraderie of everybody, and, uh, and uh, it just, just kind of happened that way. Now I still, I mean, I set out to play the guitar and sing, you know what I mean, <laughs> and. But it kind of went into this other th- avenue of the open mic. Thing, yeah, so yeah. I well, get so the fun thing about a, a Phil Stahl open mic is you truly don't know what's coming through the door. Oh, no, no, you never do. And, <laughs> and you kind of have your regulars. I remember, you know, a guy named Spider coming to play some songs and... Our friend Bob Grover mm-hmm. complaining because he wasn't playing the right guitar. You know, <laughs> around here you got to play a Martin or Who Are You. So a Spider bought a Taylor. I, I can't remember what he bought. It was been a long time. <laughs> um, but you, you know, you kind of 
you know, you run, you run your little group and everybody shows up and you get to spend some time with people who you never would have met otherwise. And that's really, really kind of special. Like looking back over the years, I mean, you've made some really deep friendships and yeah, connections. And pretty much any, <laughs> it's funny, you know, like the, cause the, you know, the local stars, you know, so, um, but pretty much anybody who's anybody in the Lehigh Valley right now, you know, like uh, probably started when they first started playing out, they probably were at an open mic, you know. With Phil Stahl. Well, not <laughs> just with me, but probably at an open mic. But I, I, yes, they were, I, that's how I met them, let's say, you know. Right. I mean, some of the guys, you like, uh, let's say Jake Colleague is for instance. I remember him sneaking into Cannons, and he wasn't even old enough to be in there, you know what I mean? <sighs> A lot of these guys, you know, James Supra, you know, just just everybody's everybody's been through the door um, here and there. But there's, you know, I'm not the only guy that runs open mics, you know. That's true. I've heard somebody say, oh, you're the guy that invented them. I'm like, I did not invent open mic. I I would just run with that, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) Only if there's checks involved, I will run with that. Uh, I I keep meaning to make... um, to make you, and I'm going to do it, a, a million-dollar bill with your picture in the middle of it. That would be nice. Where can I spend it? I don't know. Uh. You, can, you know, you can always come over. It'll be worth a cup of coffee or, <laughs> you know, whatever. I bet, I bet anywhere you play, I bet they'd take it. They'd give you whatever you ask for. Well, we could, it's <laughs> worth a shot, you know. Let's go. It'd be our next creative experiment. See what comes out of this podcast? Funny things that happen mm. to Phil Stahl been a lot of funny things that's happened to Phil Stahl, that's for sure. Uh, well, <laughs> so you would think coming into, like, we came to you, my husband and I playing a band together for listeners who don't know that about us, and we came to Phil Stahl's when, you know, my experience playing music was pretty, was me and an old Gibson, and and I snuck my way into Mayfair one year, and they gave me a set, you know, and and after that, I had to play in front of people, but I was so nervous. But we'd come in, and the band would play, and we'd hang out with the regulars, and, and you know, we got better. But not everybody, like, describe what people think of an open mic. Because me, I would think, if I didn't know at least three chords, I wouldn't sign the name. But that's not necessarily <laughs> the case. It's not necessarily uh, <laughs> true. <laughs> so what happens in our little creative community? Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I mean, you know, I've been to some uh, some open mics where they're they're really by the book, and you know, and people are quiet. And you know, the guy that runs them or is uh, you know, he tells you how it's going to be. You know, I'm not that kind of guy. You know, it's pretty laid back. You do whatever you want because I, you know, I watched I watched people over the years really get a lot better. You know, and and uh, and. Uh, I, I think people should be given the freedom to, you know, to fail. To let their you, you freak know, flags like I, fly. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like part of, if, if you come into an open mic, you probably, probably are interested in performing in front of people. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there, right? Correct. So, uh, like, um, all, all the open mics that I host, I would say 99.5% are, have been and will be in a, in a, a beer drinking saloon. You know, a hotel or in a bar situation where uh, it's going to be noisy. It's going to be uh, people talking. 
and uh, it's not going to be a church setting or a concert setting. It's you know, but pretty much my feelings, I, just my my, what do you call it? What what I am familiar with. If you want to get paid to play, that's pretty much pretty much where you're going to be, unless you're you know some kind of big star or something. And, but uh, you know, people are there uh, to have a good time, you know, and you're part of that good time, you know. So I like I I don't stifle my crowds. You know, I don't run around and say, oh, be quiet, this guy's playing, because this guy wants to learn how to do this, you know. And um, if, now if he quiets the crowd, that's, you know, by e- any means, whether it's just how he's so great. There's so many ways she you is can so quiet great, a crowd. Or amazing <laughs> that they, that, 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 that the bar goes silence, which I've heard happen. Or he tells them just to shut up, you know. <laughs> he's welcome to do that, but I don't, you know. Because you're there, I think you're there to get the full experience and to learn how to do it, you know. Like when I learned how to perform out, it was three, four hours a night, you know. Uh, scared to death at that, you know, setting up and shaking, and, you know. But oh, you I'm just, super interested in that because that's not the fill that I, I've known. Oh, yeah. but, so oh, yeah. tell me a little bit about well, that, learning know, up. and Like <coughs> it, takes, it takes a good deal of guts to get in front of people. Well, exactly, right, exactly. And I'll tell you what, yeah, and it's, it's, it's what's funny is back in the 80s when, when this is this was bizarre to me because back in the 80s, comedy was big. You know, Eddie, we had Eddie Murphy and, you know, the likes, you know. And so some comedians, I actually had comedians coming in up from Philly, actually. These guys were like six guys from Philly that would come up. And uh, what was really, I found bizarre because I just sit back and I watch, you know, I watch what's going on. And That's I, what's so magical about you, Phil, because you're so <laughs> non-judgmental, but you take it all in, and every once in a while I see you turn around and give us a look, you know. And, <laughs> but, like, you're so good at it, at making people feel important on stage, and that's, like, it's yeah, so good. Everybody's important, you know. It's yeah. like, uh, everybody's as good as the next guy in my book, you know. And... Uh, even the guy with one string on his guitar has never actually played a guitar, mm. and he comes up there and he sings something because we've seen that oh, yeah, a couple and I, times. And he came in with a piano player that couldn't play either. Now we had a duo, so it was interesting. But uh, <laughs> but w- what I was getting back at uh, with the comedians, the roughest crowd I've seen for comedians. Like I always thought it would be really cool to, to do a comedy act, you know. But that that must be the most fearful thing in the world, you know, because as soon as somebody says. All right, here's a comedian. He's funny. And everybody sits there and goes, ah, we'll see about that. Right? You know? Unless, of course, they paid 50 bucks for a ticket to come see you. Now they want to laugh. Right, you know? and they know you're But Steve now Martin, it's almost yeah. like a, well, we'll see how funny you are. You know what I'm saying? And the roughest crowd were the musicians. Ruthless they were to these guys. You would think that they would, they would understand what performing's about and, and what it takes to get up there and you know, but they were ruthless. Oh, they were bad. Really? Yeah, I was surprised, and it shocked me. Was like, this like at Harry's in Allentown? No, it was actually at the Bally Hotel. No. Because, you know, I did that in cable Bally, TV show for Bally many Bally years. PA, that's right. And what happened was these, these comedians came around, and it, there were we had a couple. There was, there was the Skierman and Fontaine and, and <clears throat> the Long Brothers and from, from this area uh, doing comedy back then, but... Um, I didn't know a whole lot of comedians, but these guys just started coming around because back then in the, in, in the 80s and 90s, I was doing like six open mics a week, you know, in different towns. And uh, <clears throat> this guy, his, his name was Big Nick. And I swear, those pants that used to hang at the Gap, you know, they used to hang them outside. 
You know, the size of the, the giant 147? Ones? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were Nick's pants, I think. <laughs> he was huge. He was like 600 pounds. I think he was like almost seven foot tall. He was a big mountain of a man. And he had all these croonies that would hang out with him, other comedians, like a six of them. And they traveled in his old Chevy van. And they would go from open mic to open mic to comedy nights to comedy nights. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, they, they, they were coming to like all my open mics. And using the same material, like one night they would kill, and the next night with the same same material would bomb. And usually when they would bomb, there'd be more musicians in the crowd. And it was so bizarre to me. I'm like, they understand what it takes to get up there, and they get cut, and cut them no slack. There is an ego attached to creatives that I found that can be very cruel if n- not put into the right mindset it, it, it was something it was something to that's see. really interesting <clears throat> yeah it was funny but uh i think i i through the comedians like i always had this i love telling jokes. i just told you guys a couple of jokes when we sat down here i love telling jokes but i wouldn't want to have to do it for a living you know because I, I think it's a whole new it's just like playing playing a song in your bedroom and then going out and play it on stage yeah, it's two yeah. different things now you're in front of people you know and like i said now you say oh We'll see how funny you are. You know what I mean? So uh, what was I getting at? I just got off my train of thought there. We really, uh, about, um, gosh, what were, I figured this whole thing was going to go exactly like this. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> um, and I ain't getting any younger, and then this happens from time to time. Right. Well, let's, you know, now that we've taken a pause, let's talk a little bit about you learning how to play and coming up through the ranks and what you learned and how that made you a good open mic host because I remember you know early on <coughs> I would walk into a place like Harry's in Allentown that was a little rough around the edges diamond in the rough of a place but really fun and we stood up there I think the first night I was there and I'm looking at the crowd and they're all like pretty young and I'm not as young as they are and and we play folk music and I'm pretty sure that's not what they're listening to. And so we, we roll in with some Neil Young, long may you run. And there's some like 25 year old in the middle of the room, jumping up and down, waving his arms. And I'm like, Whoa, like, I'm just like, Oh, I get it. I'm not the only one who likes this stuff. Like Mm -hmm. it was really, it was really like, it was kind of poignant because I didn't know, you know, I didn't know and I think what I didn't know is how what I liked and what I did was perceived by anyone, but that's kind of how I learned, and it gave me quite a bit of confidence coming up through. Yeah, um, you just got to get out there. I think everybody um, everybody likes to see live music, you know. And uh, I, Years ago, I've learned certain things that stick out in my mind, and, and one was, and we, uh, we were t- I was touching on this earlier, about, you know, when you're in a, a noisy bar room. And, uh, and I just told this story last night to this guy because, you know, he came out and he was a little, it was a, it was a raucous crowd. It always is on Thursday. But people love what's going on there. And, they, and we, we sh- by rights, should be, it's an old hotel, the, the Bowers Hotel mm-hmm. is an old hotel. And they have really nice big dining rooms. And we should really be in the back. I was going to say, because the bar there is... It's a tiny bar. There's three tables in the bar. And then there's that that old fireplace in the middle, so you can't really... And then there's the bar. Right. And um, over the years, we have gone into the back room, whether it was somebody's birthday or special occasion, and it just falls apart. People want to be in the bar. They want to be... It creates excitement. You know, arm elbow to elbow and... 
passing the old Corona around, man, having a good time. You so know? one <laughs> year we were in, Dave and I were in there and Santa Claus walked in and sat at the bar, which <coughs> oh, sounds yeah. like the beginning of a joke, but it wasn't. There's Santa at the bar. I have a picture of Santa at the bar and he's like, this is my last year. Old <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bill. Yeah. And he was Santa Bill. Bank. Did he? Oh, oh I yeah. wish I had heard that. Oh. But there are so many, like, I feel like it's like Norman Rockwell Americana, the open mic, like when you get Santa Claus singing Hank Williams at the bar. You know, I just, it's like priceless. Well, he, you know, th- and this is the story of this one guy, you know, he comes around once in a while and he's like, Bobby. I call him Corvette Bobby because he just got himself, finally got himself a Corvette. You know? Good for him. My, my age, you know, he always wanted a Corvette. Anyway, he gets a nice Corvette. And I, so I call him Corvette Bobby. And, uh, he said, well, you know, the front table, they were listening, but the, the rest of the bar, you know, they, they really could give a hoot, you know. And I was like, I'm going to tell you something. I said, they're in that bar because they, we're here in the bar. I said, and I learned this, and I'll tell you exactly where I learned it. I learned, I used to play two nights a week at the wine cellar in Bethlehem. It was on 4th of Wyandotte. It's not even there anymore. I think the church bought the whole property now. But it was a yuppie seed. It wasn't seed. I don't want to call it seedy, but it was it was the coolest place. It was like a... Where all the yuppies would hang out, you know, the leftover hippies turned uh, golfers now, you know, and it was the, they had a, 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 a the one chef would be there. They had a, the, the flames coming off all the thing, making steaks and stuff, and and uh, <clears throat> the bar was there, and it was separated by like all these wine bottles from the little dining room they had to the to the bar, and it was noisy, and and I I, I would play four hours a night, four hours on Tuesdays. And four hours on Fridays. And Which, by the way, is a, is a gargantuan feat to sing and play for four hours. Yeah, thank God everything went to three hours. Yeah, right. Some to two. Yeah. <laughs> so this, yeah. this is great. Um, and you know, I'd get done a song and there'd be no, you know, no response. And I'm thinking, man, they must hate me. You know, they must hate me. You know, and then, and, and uh, I'd get self-conscious and... and um, that's where I learned not to talk to them, you know, because I'll talk to I'll talk to the crowd if they're talking to me. Because some guys can just yabber yabber jaw like Dave Fry, for instance. He can just <laughs> he can just start talking. It doesn't even Tom Walls is another one. That guy he can like he can talk more and he can play, but uh, I can't do that. I can't just come off if if it looks like they're not interested. I just leave them be, and I'm I'm here to play your music. I'm, I'm you know I'm not a comedian. I'm not uh, I I have uh, no knowledge of anything to to share with you, you know what I mean? It's like, so, but then I take a break and the people would come to the bar and they'd say, Phil, you know, hey, we really liked that. We enjoyed that. We were, and then I, I, re- I thought about it. I thought, you know what? They worked all day. They came here to unwind, relax. You know, they're talking, they're having dinner. I'm part of their environment. Right. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. I'm, even if I'm just in the background, that's fine because that's what I'm getting paid for. As long as they're not looking at me, pointing a finger and saying, you suck <laughs> and getting up and walking out. That's I'm never doing, happened to you. I'm doing cannot, my job. Yeah, that's right? true. I'm doing my job. Right. So if you look at it that way, I'm adding, you, when you're playing out, you're, you're, now if they did pay $50 for a ticket to come in there and they're still talking now, you got probably got a problem. That's a, you know? that's a whole nother. That's, a, that's a different, yeah, sure. I, I'm, I'm not in that world, so I don't have to worry about it, you know? Right. So, uh, but playing in, in bars, I, I think this was probably my point to start this whole thing is, and, um, I'm perfectly happy, happy doing that. And sometimes when you, 
like I'll go over I, over the years. I've I've done shows at Godfrey's and they are sitting there looking at you, and you think oh, it's kind of nerve wracking. They're, they're not it's, saying or nobody's talking. You know, it's like and when they're, they're that attention. close to you. Like we yeah. did, we did a show at uh, what is it, a Perksy Patchwork, the the coffee house. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a show and there, Dave. Dave, it was so funny. After the show, one of our friends came up and said, Dave, you look nervous. He goes, everybody was so freaking close to me. Like, you know, they yeah, were and so they're paying close. attention. And we were not used to that, you know. <laughs> well, we do a lot of that. And it's funny because sometimes we actually, we do play in churches. And and what I usually get at churches is people behaving like they're in church. So they're all standing there just staring at you. They're just staring. They're not I know, waving. Right? They're it's not scary. bobbing. They're not. And you're like, this feels like it's going over like a lead balloon and then you get a note from you know the pastor or the worship leader or whoever and they're like they just loved you and i'm like tell their face and you know <laughs> yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's tough yeah. but, but i'd rather but much be in a raucous environment and see it if i can cap like if i can even if, if you can tell somebody's looking over at you and maybe nodding their head and smiling oh yeah you know and it's it like doesn't take it's much. more it's more of an adventure to me you know to, to do that but it, yeah, everybody does what they want how they like it you know but that's that's my thing so you mentioned earlier that you were you real nervous coming up tell us a little bit about how you got into music and playing and why well, you know my mom was she she taught piano and and uh, she wouldn't teach me because i didn't listen you know so she took me for piano lessons to some other lady and <laughs> sometimes that's for the better and i'll tell you what's funny my, i had my mom i took care of her till she was 95 and she had dementia pretty bad you know and and then she fell. She she made it to ninety seven, but I had to put her in a facility at ninety seven. But I'd still I I take her to the piano and she would play. She didn't quite know who I was. <laughs> she knew she knew me, you know. But uh, but it, I put her at the piano and she would play play away, you know. It was neat. So <clears throat> I played piano for till third till I was in third grade, and then I played at the Mother's Day tea, and all my other little buddy male friends mocked me for being a sissy for playing the piano at the Mother's Day Tea. Jerks. So I immediately quit playing <laughs> piano. Wow. Which was, uh, I, I, I wish I did not stop. But uh, but then I picked up the trombone in fourth grade. I played all, all the way through 11th grade trombone. And uh, in between, I picked up drums. And then I was playing in this band. And I think, I think from the guy that I was taking trombone lessons, I took uh, some drum lessons. And then... I think I took two guitar lessons, and he wasn't showing. I he was like, I didn't want to play like that. I want, I wanted, to, I wanted to be able to sing. That was my thing. And I was in this little band. I was probably like 14, 15 years old. We play pool parties and stuff, and uh, birthday parties, and uh, we weren't very good. But uh, I, I couldn't sing and play drums at the same time. Mm-hmm. So there was a guitar player, and we had like <laughs> we had like three guitar players, you know, and a bass player. And, uh, the one guy, uh, his name was Rick Buck, and uh, I said, "Rick, I said, can, can you teach me how to play the guitar?" And and he showed me how to how to read those little chord charts, you know, you put your fingers one, That's two, how three. How I learned, right? My and dad it, taught me that, yeah. And then he taught me, taught me the House of the Rising Sun. So I played the House of the Rising Sun for like three years. And my mom says, don't you know another song? I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I'll tell you another funny story, but you, you play guitar, so you, you understand, especially if you're self-taught like that. 
<clears throat> how long, and we forget this, and this is, this is, I love thinking about this. You forget how long, like the, that, the first quarter in the House of Rising Sun is A minor. Mm-hmm. You forget, I forget, I'll speak for myself, I forget how long I sat to be able to play that chord without hitting any of the other other strings. And how many times did I say, wait, 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 right? That, and I think the best piece of advice I had from a, from learning to play guitar from the chord charts and the stuff that my dad taught me, down in the valley, the valley solo, hanger, you know, was a friend of mine just said, because it was more like, you fill up my strum, senses, <laughs> strum, like a night in the... For, you know, somebody you didn't just say, said, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Like F was the hard chord. Oh, F we was all so dread hard. F. And um, somebody finally said, Kelly, even if you're not ready with your fingers, keep strumming. You'll catch up. And it was like the best thing. It was just like a light went on and I'm, you know, it sounded awful, but it was more fun to do. And, you know, I could get the whole John Denver thing out, you know? Yeah. But you forget how long you sat. Like after you learn that first one, well now you got to learn another one and go to that chord. It's and, never and, ending. And it starts it's a all spiral. over again. Yeah. But you know how long that took. And I'll tell you, because after you play for a number of years, you, you you just take it for granted. Right. Until I have to learn a new bar chord. Well, yeah. this guy <laughs> comes in, and, and I'm I'm gonna tell you his name. Cause I I have a lot of respect for the guy. His name is Barry Price. He goes by K Blues. He's living out by Carlisle these days. And he used to come in his open mic uh, we had at the Brick Tavern back in the early 80s. And uh, he played his guitar. He was left-handed. He played it, but he never changed the strings around. So he's playing. his high E was at the top. He's not even, and he's not just playing backwards. He's playing upside down and backwards. So he's strumming up because his his low end is on the bottom here, you know, where they call the title. So, you know, being a... A wise guy that I am, I'm thinking, you know, I know how to play the guitar, right? So how hard could it be to, to learn one song, maybe with two or three chords in it? like Upside down. Up, and, and so I'd be playing a show and go, something's not right, something's not right. Oh, I know, I got the guitar upside down. And then just turn it around just to be funny, right? So I, I decided I was going to work on that, right? Oh, my God. It's like starting over. Well, yeah, because your hand, yeah, <clears> I couldn't. Yeah. I was, I was, and then I, that's when it hit me, like how long it took me, you know, how long I actually sat in my bedroom and, and, and played. And I, because I forgot all about those hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours just to play two chords, you know, or even play one chord, you know. Uh, and then another thing hit me while I was thinking about that. And this is the coolest thing. I had just as much fun the first time I picked up a guitar and knew nothing as I do today. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And that, that, that's, and, and that's what it is. Cause people say, Oh, can you teach me how to play the guitar? I'm saying, and my first question is, do you really want to play the guitar? Or do you think you want to play the guitar? How do you know the difference back then, though? You know, you don't. Because you, you, you got to practice. Right. You know? Well, you have to put in the time. Exactly sure. right. It's not going to just come to you, you know? So you got you to put in the time. Because if, if you don't, like, I had a house. I lived in this house that had a mechanics pit, right? And it was in a full, it was a full basement. It wasn't just a crawl space. It was a mechanics pit. The guy bought the house from, had built the house, and he loved working on cars. I hate working on cars. 
I know nothing about working on it. It's like magic. When I turn the key, it's like magic. My car starts, and I have great faith that my car will start. And if it doesn't, I call AAA, right? <laughs> <clears throat> so anyway, I'm a guy. You know, all my guy friends, you know, can work on cars. I don't even know how many cubic inches my any of my vehicles are. I, I, it's the least of my worries. I don't think about it. But now I got the mechanics bit. And I said, you know, because I, I always felt like inferior to my buddies, um, you know, because they know all this stuff, you know. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm a guy. I'm going to learn how to work on cars. And I would pull my car in the garage. I slide that thing back in and I stand underneath and in my cellar looking up underneath the car. I go, there it is. The bottom of my car. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what I was looking at, you know. And, and, and then it hit me. It's just like, I don't like I don't like anything about working on cars. I I feel like the cat in the hat with the pink snow. When you open that, when you open the hood, as soon as you stick your hand in there, it's going to get greasy and dirty. And as soon as your hand gets my hand, I'm speaking for myself. As soon as my hand gets dirty, my nose itches. <laughs> right now, I got the grease that was in my car on my hand and is now on my face. So, you know. Sometimes you just got to say, I don't like this. And it's okay not to like it, right? Right. Man, I just went off on a tirade there. That's, that's but the, you know, that's true. There's so many lessons. But you got to figure out if you like it or not. Because there's a lot of people who would like to play the guitar. I would love to play the piano. And I sit down, I have a little piano at home. And I sit down, and I'm, like, I'm going to teach myself. And you know what? I don't do it. <laughs> I had a whole year off. And and in the beginning of that whole thing, I said I'm gonna I'm gonna learn how to play the piano. Mm -mm. I found everything else I had to do, and I had absolutely nothing to do. Right, and your kids play piano. My youngest daughter used to. Yeah, yeah, I remember hearing her play. Mm -hmm. So anyway, well, I think you know the lesson is there. You know, you want to be a musician. Do the work of a musician, learn the instrument, or at least I always feel like guitar is kind of a great instrument because you can be an okay guitar player. You can know your three chords and play many songs that Bob Dylan wrote with those three chords from beginning to end, and that's awesome. And if that's what you want from the instrument, that's great. I always hand my guitar to people because I'm... I'm superstitious that the guitar is actually alive and would like to be played by someone more talented than I. And <laughs> so, you know, I give my guitar to you or I give it to like a Walter Parks or, or whoever's around and, and, you know, it gets its little, <sighs> and then it's like, oh, it's you again. You know, I just feel like my guitar is a living, breathing thing. And I've always thought of it that way, but you know. Yeah. It's, it's, the, there's some amazing players around. I'm not, I'm not an amazing player. I just, I'm a, a, a strummer, you know. No, you're an amazing player there was a guy came true. in last night i just met him wednesday night and okay. his, his name is uh, uh slade and he's from out uh, um western pa and he came out to an open mic last wednesday he came out to Bali on wednesday and then he came out last night again and he he plays left-handed and because uh, on, on his on his left hand from birth he only he is about he only has maybe about four inches below his elbow. Okay. And it goes kind of goes down into a point, so he has no 
left hand, you know. Yeah. And uh, you wouldn't know. It. He strums with like the stump of his his uh, forearm. Really. Yeah. yeah. And he sounded great. It was amazing. Like what? If you want to do this, you can do it. Like uh, some people say, oh, I can't do it because my hands are small. I'm like, this guy ain't even got a hand. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. It's true. The guy. Um, you got to want to do it, right? You got to want to do it. The banjo player from the band Mountain Heart. I can't remember his name because I'm that age and I, I just lose st- chunks of memory anymore. But um, he has, he's missing a couple fingers. So he, he plays the banjo. He curls his left hand over the top and he's making his bar chords and his, his string. And you would never know it. But to see him live. You're like, oh, he looks, oh, that's what he's doing. And then you're like, oh, he really wants to play the banjo, you know. (laughs) But it's amazing. But there's no stopping. No. So, uh, open mic, was he, who was the, who are the, who are the performers that stood out either because of talent or sheer lack of talent? (laughs) <laughs> or I call it performance art. Like well, I'll tell you, my claim to fame, it's not my claim to fame, but it's probably the most famous. Well, I, we had two famous people at our open mic. One wasn't famous when he was at open mic. Until and, after. And became famous. <laughs> and then one was a real famous guy who didn't really care if we anybody knew who he was. And, uh, of course, I'm talking about John Gorka you know, at the Ballet Hotel in the early 80s. when He was living in the basement of Godfrey Daniels, and all those guys would come down. On Wednesday nights there at the Valley, and then John, of course, went on to be John Gorka. John Gorka, and um, and then back in uh, this was probably in the two thousands, we had a an open mic uh, that was sponsored by because my my open mics are pretty much acoustic, you know. But uh, John from uh, John Slog from Guitar Villa uh, wanted me to host with their name, kind of back in the whole thing. And it was a place called Our Beer Bellies, which used to be Mil- Mickey Kelly's year, years ago down at the end of Bethlehem. But it had a nice big stage, and we had a, a back line with drums and everything. They, they supplied everything. So anyway, this, this guy walks in, and he looked like a rock and roller kind of guy. And, uh, I, you know, I, hey, how you doing? I, he walked in with an old National Steel. And, uh oh, what's your name? And he says, oh, they call me Woody. He says, I'm, I'm from California. He says, I'm just passing through. I saw there was an open mic here. Da, 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 da. Anyway, long story short, it was Ronnie Wood. <laughs> That's who it was. And nobody knew who he was. But he didn't want us to know who we were, who he was. So, but, but this guy, John, who was a great, who is a good, still a great drum, drummer, and he was at that, that night, got hooked up with Ronnie, and they were, they were talking all night long. And the guy kept saying things like, oh, my band back in California. And so, and then he loved the way John played, and, and he got John's information. He says, if I am ever cruising through here and uh, you know, I need a drummer, I'm going to give you a call, you know. And So when I was packing my stuff up uh, in the van at the night, I saw those two guys in the parking lot talking, you know. And so the next week I come in, and John's like, hey, remember that guy Woody? I'm like, yeah, yeah, he was really good, you know. And I used to record everybody at the at the open mics. Right, yeah, yeah. I have a recording of that guy uh, for when I used to do that show up at XLV, you know, for local music. And uh, he says, yeah, he says, they call him Woody. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, do you know who he was? I'm like, I don't know. He, Woody. Says, he, was, he was from <laughs> California. Da, 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 da. He goes, and he pulls out the record album from Rolling Stones. And he goes, look. I'm like, are you kidding me? He goes, <laughs> yeah, he goes, he says, right before the guy got in the car, he says, 
I said to him, because we were talking all night, he says, and right before he left, he was in his car, he had the window down, and I said, hey, hey, you know, you've been talking about this band back in California that you play with, you know, he says, was anybody famous? Do I know him? And he, and he says, oh, I'm, I'm Rod Stewart's guitar player, and he drove off. Mm. And John's standing there going, that's Ron Wood. <laughs> And he goes home, he's like, I got the album out, I'm looking, and he's like, oh my God, it was him. You know, so that's just, that's hard. That's a good night, man. <laughs> now, a couple of hoofdies from the Lehigh Valley, we didn't even know who he was. You know, he must have thought, man. Yeah, so you run the gamut, because I've been at open mics where some gentleman who looked not nearly sober enough um, comes into, and he taps me on the shoulder, and my husband's with me, and, and he goes... <laughs> Man, you know, I just want to play a song. I said, "Well, you're you're here. This is the open mic. This is where you can play it." And then he he went on ad infinitum about how he didn't want to be paid. He just wanted to make people happy. So he gets up on stage and he's got a pitch pipe in his pocket, and he 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 hits the E, and then he tunes his E string, but it wasn't nearly. They were two different notes, you know. And he he proceeded to do that, and I'm looking at. I said, Dave. He's a performance artist. There's going to be cameras. I said, look for cameras. Because I'm like, this guy is unreal. And he proceeded to sing a song that was completely unlistenable. And afterward, you just went, yeah. (laughs) 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 And, like, it's just amazing. What what do you think it is that makes people think that they can do that? Or is it they just just want to do do it? it. They want to do it, you know? They want to do it. And uh, I give them a stage to do it on. Which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it's thoroughly entertaining. It is. I love my life. I'm telling you, I've always <laughs> thought you should have a reality show called Open Mic Night and mm. just, you know, go around the country and well, see I what shows up. Well, I told you about that, that play I always thought about writing. Was that We were talking about that, right? Yes, but tell us again so everybody's... No, I'm not going to yeah. give it away. Okay, don't give it away. Wait till it's a big hit, then you can go watch it. Someone can say we've heard it here. <laughs> I think you should write it. And I don't know, we'll see. It's a good idea, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is a good idea. Um, and, uh, you know, I just thinking you brought your guitar. Why don't you play us something you wrote and then we'll talk about songwriting for a couple minutes. Mm-hmm, okay. So anyway, this song <coughs> is one of my latest songs. I don't write a whole lot of songs. I, once in a while, you know what happened? I, I, I wrote two songs. This was a number of years ago and it was pretty, pretty much out of both of those songs is pretty much all I had to say. You know? That was it. And I thought, well, I'll probably never write another song because I kind of pretty much said everything I wanted to say. And I didn't write another song for a long time. That's funny because I wrote a bunch in the 90s when I didn't know much about, I didn't know much about music. I just doing my thing. And then everybody, like I would just sort of empty a room. Like they would all just like one by one, like shift off to the kitchen. And I'm like, I felt like the comedian who bombed, you know, I'm just like, nobody wants to hear this, but we want to hear you now, so. When I wrote this song last year, <laughs> it's a song about absolutely nothing. Because there was absolutely nothing going on. <laughs> so it kind of wrote itself, you know? <laughs> Think I have me 
one more coffee Light me up Another cigarette I'll daydream on For one more hour I got nothing To do today That ain't always how it's been That ain't always how this life's been treating me That ain't always how it's been But it is today
about absolutely nothing right now. You make nothing sound like a good idea, you know. <laughs> so when you when you approach writing a song, like what do you do? Like some people carry around notebooks, some people, I don't know. What, what do you do? Uh, you know, my, the, my favorite songs that, that I play out have all come to me just when I sat down, I just came right out. You know, like everybody does it differently. I had lyrics that uh, just the beginning of a song had them for 30 years, and I said, this is, you know, and it was, I'll take a moment, I took a moment one day last week to remember, that was it, all the things I said I never would forget, and I had, that's all I had for 30 years, and every time I'd sit down and try to do something with it, I couldn't do a, a, a thing, I did, I, I actually last year when nothing was going on, I did finish it, but it's not one of my favorite songs, uh, my favorite songs, like Saturday's Dancer. I love playing Saturday's Dancer. Uh, it's a cool song about a stripper. Saturday's Dancer makes sense, right? But uh, you know, I wrote that in like probably as long as it took me takes me to play it. You know, they just come. To, that's how I wrote. But everybody does it differently. You know, every time I have a, a line that I like, I, it, just, it takes me forever. I'd never do anything with it. Maybe you know. But, uh, yeah. Everybody does it differently. That's how I do it. My favorite songs. You want to give us a little Saturday's Dancer? So anyway, I pulled, I, it was the first, this, this gal asked, she said, my dad owns this hotel and I'd love you to play there. And she told me how to get there. And I pulled, uh, she, we, this is back before internet and all that, you know. And so she, you know, I talked to her on the phone. She told me how to get there. And I pull up and there's this, they had a marquee in the front. And it said, uh, the marquee said, Saturday Dancer. And underneath that, it said Phil Stahl. And I thought, wait a minute. Saturday I, dancer I, Phil Stahl. I didn't <laughs> sign. I ain't doing no dancing here, you know. So that's it. That's what we've learned. No dancing, no mechanics. That's right. <laughs> Just say no. She was standing by the clothes sign that hung on the door. And I was sitting on my suitcase, feet on the floor. And every once in a while, I'd look over and smile. She'd just push her hair back behind her ear. She must be Saturday's dancer come to put on a show. Saturday's dancer and I don't want her to go. 
she must be Saturday's dancer she'll never know she'll never know I pulled into Red Town an hour ago I was to play at this hotel what time I don't know the porch That's when she made her approach She pushed on the front door But it wouldn't budge She must be Saturday's dancer Come to put on a show She must be Saturday's dancer And I don't want her to go Saturday's dancer, she'll never know. She'll never know. This gin mill don't open, it's about half past four. And so we both sat there waiting until they unlocked the door. when she slipped right inside but much to my surprise she held the door open and winked her one eye she must be Saturday's dancer come to put on a show Saturday's dancer and I don't want her to go Saturday's dancer, she'll never know. No, she'll never know. I pulled up a bar stool, she began on the stage. Guess I gave her my dollars as time turned its page. How long But when I turned She was gone So I picked up my guitar Now on with my song She must be Saturday's dancer Come to put on a show Saturday's dancer And I don't want her to go Saturday's dancer, she'll never know. No, she'll never know. She'll never know. She'll never know. Starting to whistle now when I sing. Ah. Saturday's dance. Ah, yeah. That's a good story. That's a good story. All so. because I saw my name on the marquee, thinking I was going to be dancing at it.
God, why am I? I'm never there at the right time. <laughs> so how do you know when you write a song if it's good? Just uh, I like it, you know? Okay. Mm, if I like it, if it's fun to play. Like, that's fun to play. Yeah. Especially plugged in. I don't, I'm not like just, I, I like to get certain sounds out of my guitar and the amp yeah, and, a, and the reverb, you know, and um, this is okay. Acoustic is nice. And, yeah. But, uh, but what I'm, you get accustomed to playing out, that's, like, I don't sit and really practice. I should practice, you know. But I like the, the live sound. And uh, so there's sounds that I hear. And then if you if I use a, a new piece of equipment, you know, then there's, like, new sounds there, you know. It's like, okay, let's try to find some. Like, I'm not so much about playing the song the way it was written. It's like hearing it, just making it feel feel good to play to me, you know. Right. Right, uh, and because I'll hear these songs on the oldies station that like, I play oldies. I used they used to be very new, but and I I don't like to call them oldies. I call them vintage. Vintage. It's a nice name. It's a nicer word. Right. Vintage. They're vintage. I think about the songs that I still know that I knew. <laughs> you know, like at one point I may or may not have sung country roads in front of my kindergarten class. Right. I'm not going to tell you if that actually happened or not, but that song is over 50 years old. Yeah. Well, I love playing teacher children. And just the other year, the other year was 50 years from Woodstock when it was, it was, they, you know, more or less the first time it was played in public was, oh. was at Woodstock. And, and it was weird. It was weird to think it was 50 years ago. We just had a guy come in last night, open mic. His father used to come to open mic. And I said, to this guy sitting inside him. I said, that's so-and-so's son, you know, and he was playing. And he goes, man, it looks just like his dad. I'm like, here's the sad part about that. That kid right now playing is older than his dad was when his dad used to come to open mic. He's older. The kid's older now than it was, you know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and the guy's dad was a little bit older than us. Right, right. So oh, that's a little scary. It's weird. Time goes by and, and you're know. just, you know. Well, you think about it. We were just all getting excited about because there was no work and they were going to shut everything down. It seems like like last week, doesn't it? Yeah. I got kicked out of Key West. Yeah. That's where I was. Yeah. And now I've been there since and came back. You, you know, should, it just You should like put that on your bio, by the way, and don't explain it. I, I once got kicked out of Key West. <laughs> There's definitely a I've song in there. I've been kicked out of nicer places than this. Though. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I, we talked about a creative toolkit and, like, three things that have helped you along the way that maybe could encourage maybe give people a little a little grit to go out to don't do an get open stuck mic. don't get stuck like i started out just to play the guitar and sing you know and, and i never said no to nothing you know and was always open to up uh open to new ideas you know like the, like, uh, I've got involved. Like, I did a TV show, radio show. I didn't start out to do it. I didn't even look to do any of that stuff, you know. And it, it, when it was presented, I never said no. You know, so I'll give it a shot. See, I remember we used to do these acoustic showcases with 20 acts. And it would be like the Green Pine Inn or Cafe La Rock, you know, like in rock and roll rooms that, where they had rock and roll bands seven nights a week, you know. And we would go in on one, one Wednesday a month, and I would schedule out. 20 acts with 15-minute slots. And I remember the first one we were doing was at the Green Pine Inn, the old Green Pine Inn. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, this has to be, because we're, we're acoustic guys. We're in a corner of some bar, you know, every night. We're never on a main stage like this, you know, with lights. And, 
you know, we could even have a smoke machine if we wanted, probably, you know, and a sound guy. And I'm thinking, I'm in the middle of that whole thing. And it was just presented to me if I wanted to do this. And I, I said, yeah, okay. And it was so much fun. But, in, but I was so nervous thinking this has to go right. You know, we can, I can't mess up. And in the middle of it, I thought to myself, wait a minute. Nobody knows how this is supposed to go because I just made it up, right? So we, they, however it goes, nobody knows except for a wait. Perspective you know. is everything. Exactly. So never yeah. say no and always be open and don't, don't close yourself in. You know, don't say, this is what I got to do and this is the way I got to do it. You know, and uh, and never say you're not good enough. You know, that's the other thing. It's true. We're all we're all our harshest critics for sure. <clears throat> but I, I I I got I was experienced. I got so many very really cool experiences in life by just say okay, I'll, I'll I'll do it. I'll give it a shot. You know. Yeah, and uh, you know. Uh, like the radio shows you did. Are you doing them anymore? I, I do. I do. Uh, I guess you would call it like a pod. We record a yeah. 10 song set on. Uh, oh, we have a featured yeah. act on Wednesday. You, in fact, yeah. you and Dave are going to do it next Wednesday. Right. At the Bally Hotel during our open mic. We, you'll do a 10 song set. I'll record that. And then I, I just stream it from my website. Because mm-hmm. we, I, I used to be up at WXLV for 25 right. years. And then they sold the free, they, they built this beautiful facility. That was great. And then they sold the frequency. So it was all internet radio anyway. And there so, was a room. But <laughs> I like this now because you, you can, you, you had to listen to it when we were on. Right. I think I used to do like Wednesdays three to six. And it was great. I think one of the times we did that, we had a gig right afterward and, and it was really cute because <coughs> this dad and his two girls showed up and, and he goes, Kelly, I heard you on Phil's show and I just wanted the girls to see that they could do this. And I'm like, that's like the coolest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> you know? like, well, that's what just... we would do because it was a three hour show when we yeah. did it live yeah. we over the airwaves. And it because I used to record, this is what would happen it would be, I would record everybody at the open mics, even, even if you weren't that good. It did. I used to say there was only two, two, um, criterias for being on my show one you had to be unsigned and your music had to be cuss free cuss free unsigned music that was it that was the only requirement being good wasn't a requirement it because it was just whatever you wanted to do and so you i would record everybody at every open mic that i did i have a, a basement full of tapes <sighs> tapes and tapes and tapes and tapes and tapes and tapes they should go somewhere maybe because there's some pretty cool recordings of some pretty like I say, like Jimmy Super, Craig Thatcher, uh, you name it. I got oh, yeah. recordings of these guys. And uh, anyway, so that would be the first hour. And if somebody produced something, we started out with records, and then we went to cassettes, and then, you know, and then CDs. Right, right. So the, the, the first hour would be that, and then the second hour would be that recorded on location set, like a, a set of music. Right. And some recordings, other recordings. And then the third hour would always be a live act, and then we'd always have an open mic right after it, and whoever was the live perf- uh, performer would open up the show. Right. Yeah. So you could come. I used to say, you can come right out and see these guys if you like them, and, right. they, and people would. And know. they would. I know. That's what's so cool. So you know, <coughs> if you wanna, if you want a local music scene, yeah, you make gotta one. create one. Yeah. And you can do whatever. That's the joy. If you're making it up, you can do whatever you want. You know. You, so you think outside the box. Whatever. If you're thinking about it. Give it a whirl, you know? Yeah. What's the worst thing that happens? It didn't work out. Right, right. You know? There's always no, mechanics. I'm always <laughs> so surprised that, you know, the things, 
I go, wow, well, that worked. You know, we'll do yeah. it again. Yeah. Well, you did great. It's been going on. How long have you been doing this? Let's just, I'm sorry. Well, I'm age I quit you, my I job making grinding wheels. <laughs> my last day there was a Friday. It was the 13th. Friday the 13th? Friday the 13th. And it was 1978. So I had been playing out. You yeah. Know. Those guys at the factory say, Phil, you know. Because I was doing some photography and the music on the weekends and stuff. Yeah. And, and those guys would, they'd been hanging on the machines 20 years before I got there, you know. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was 18 when I got there. Yeah. Out of high school. And, and they're like, Phil, you can do something. Go do something. You'll get stuck here, you know. Wow. So it took me like six years to walk in one day and I gusted up to mustered up the end of the nerve and i i said to the guy i'm giving you my two weeks notice not thinking that the last day was going to be friday the 13th and i'm like oh what did i do <laughs> the 13th this can't be good seemed like it was okay mm -hmm. it worked out it great worked out. i threw it all over again yeah yeah good yeah. well thanks so much for doing this this has been enjoyable <laughs> and you are one of my favorite human beings <laughs> ever sincerely i I'm always excited to see you, and it's always a joy and a pleasure to Thanks for be in me. your space. And Phil's going to play us out now. We're, oh. gonna, we're not going to hear Dave wrote our theme song, but we're going to let you play us out this time. Me? Yeah. No, I, didn't, I thought I thought I played my two. You played your two? My two songs that I wrote. Oh, no, really? I'm, I'm just kidding. Oh, come on. <laughs> let me think of one. Um, you could play four chords over oh, and over again. You could play G, E minor, C, and D. I'll play you this one. All right. I knew you had it in you. Right then you know Simple and true As pure as the snow Was innocent and new That was so long That you've gone away But you never left me The creative backstory wouldn't be possible without the support of JuxtaHub, Emmaus, Pennsylvania's Arts and Innovation Center, where people from all walks of life gather, create, and grow. If you've been inspired by a creative person in your life, or have a story about your favorite creative processes, we'd love to hear about it. Contact us at thecreativebackstory at gmail.com. 